You're a TV producer at ESPN. Your job is to produce sporting events that are often watched by millions of people. This past winter, you got arguably the biggest promotion you've ever had. ESPN offers you the chance to produce Sunday Night Baseball. Welcome to ESPN Sunday Night Baseball, game three of four between the Red Sox and the Yankees. Now, you've been at this for a while, but this is still a step up for you in a number of ways, and there's a lot of work to be done. And then, the pandemic shuts everything down. When things start up again, it's time to get to work, but it's nothing like you thought it would be back in March. Today, a peek behind the curtain. I'm Dan Schulman, and this is a Swing and a Belt. Cannot wait for the game alongside Buster Oli, Jessica Mendoza, Aaron Boone. Here's Dan Shulman. Adnan, thank you. We can't wait as well. The Cubs and the Red Sox coming up. It is Sunday Night Baseball on ESPN. Jeff Dufine, or Doof as I usually call him, is a very talented producer at ESPN. Doof and I have known each other for, I'd say, probably about 15 years. We have done baseball together when we were both on ESPN's Monday Night Game. But even more so, we have done college basketball together for several years. Jeff and I are both lucky enough to be on ESPN's Saturday Prime Package, which is the big game of the week during conference play. So if you ever hear me doing Duke Carolina or Kentucky Tennessee or something like that, chances are it is Doof who is in the truck making it all happen. His favorite college basketball player of all time is Spike Albrecht, and he sometimes wears a beret to work. Doof, how you doing today? <laughs> I'm good, Shalou. How are you? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks for joining me. We'll leave those inside jokes aside. Uh, for the listeners. That's probably for the best. The Probably for the best, yes. For the listeners, but I could use a little touch-up in this area, too. So let me start here. What does a producer do? Well, if you're going to put it in, <laughs> well, what do you think I do versus what do I actually do? What do you um, actually do? Well, it's... Basically, you're in charge of the production um, and all facets of it. It's a variety of roles, obviously, from the process during the course of the week or day or two, however, may, however how much time you may have to actually prepare for the next game that you're doing versus in the truck, you're in charge of all of the content and are leading the broadcast and leading the announcers down the path uh, that you may be doing. Um, I like to refer to it sometimes, or, or I've heard other people refer to it really, as the producers in, in some kind of a way, like the head coach and the director is more of like the quarterback, like calling the plays that, that I'm sending in or executing the plays that I'm sending in. And obviously we're all following the announcers who are kind of leading the way of the broadcast and, and taking us through the course of the game. Okay, so when I explain it to people, it's similar. I call you the head coach, but I call myself the quarterback. I'm not the quarterback. I, I, for years, I thought I was the quarterback. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you are from a certain standpoint, for sure. Um, but it's kind of, it, there's, I, it's, it's weird because there's kind of two roles where the play-by-play -play person, obviously on air, is taking the viewer f through certain and executing all of the plays that the producer is calling. But from a truck standpoint... Um, whether it's taking the camera shots, going to replays or taking a piece, you know, rolling a piece of tape that I'm asking them to roll, putting a graphic in that I'm asking them to put in. Like the director, as far as the truck standpoint goes, is, is the quarterback in that sense as well. 
So for people listening, so the producer and the play-by-play guy, Jeff and myself, we are in constant communication throughout the game, just like he said. If if he's going to roll in uh, a replay of a home run or if he's going to put in a graphic showing that somebody just took over the league lead or if he's telling me to throw back to the studio for an update, we are constantly talking. Obviously, people don't hear it on the air. I have a little button called Talkback that I can push to talk to the truck, and Jeff can talk to me. But, Doof, when you are in the truck as a producer – how many different people are you conceivably talking to at one point or another during a broadcast? Um, I mean, it varies, obviously, on the size of the show. I would say from like from a normal Sunday night baseball or Saturday prime college basketball game that we would do, there's probably about 15 people that are hearing me and listening to everything that I say. Um, and I'm not including the, the camera operators and certain people like that, that obviously the director is just talking to. So, I mean, obviously I'm talking over a microphone, but depending on what kind of a truck or, or currently what we're doing now, what kind of a control room that I'm in, you know, the director, the ISO producer, the graphics producers, as well as all of the operators there, you know, we have on Saturday nights, probably seven tape operators or EVS operators. The same applies on like a Sunday night baseball game. There's various other people from audio and then obviously, you know, the talent that are calling the game. Um, sometimes there's, you know, there's obviously always a play by play and there's could be up to, you know, two analysts as well as a reporter. So somewhere between 15 and 20 people are hearing pretty much every word that I say and kind of following along, not only what I'm asking for, but but what you and, and the analysts are calling during the course of the game. And, and how many of those 15, I assume it's not all of them, how many of those people can actually talk back to you? How many different voices might you hear in your headset during a game? They can all talk back to me, but they ha- I won't hear every word that they say. So they have to actually push down their key to talk to me. Meanwhile, like my keys to all these people are pretty much just open, so they hear every word that I say. Paint a picture for us in a normal world. Uh, You and I are at Fenway Park. We're doing a baseball game. Take us inside the truck and and just tell us what you see and who's in your immediate vicinity inside a television truck. So usually I'm on the front bench of a television truck to kind of paint a picture for you. There's usually two or three benches in production, it's called. So there's a technical director that has this massive keyboard, for lack of a better term, in front of him that has hundreds of buttons on it. Um, and only they know what every one of them do. <laughs> it looks like the launch codes could come out of there. It's the scariest thing I've ever seen. Without a doubt. Next to the technical director is the director, uh, who's obviously calling all the shots of the game. And I sit usually to the left or the right, right next to the director. Depending on what kind, what size truck or what kind of a game you're on, next to me, on the other side of me, would be either the associate director or the ISO producer. And usually on the second or third bench, so row of the truck, it's either, again, the associate director, one or two graphics associate producers, al- along with their operators, as well as the bug, which is the scoreboard that you see on the screen all the time. We call it the bug, that operator's back there. So that's usually what is in production, um, which is a pretty you know, confined space, depending on what size truck that you're in. Obviously a smaller show sometimes has smaller trucks. Some of the bigger shows have more spacious room for production, but then there's a, depending on what's part of the truck that you're in, there could be a separate part of the truck for graphics. There's definitely a separate part of the truck for tape and replay. Obviously audio has their own part of the truck. Um, Video has their own part of the truck. So 
you know, whether you're in one truck, whether you're in multiple trucks, depending on the size of the show that you're, that you're working on, there's like different rooms. But as far as production goes, that's pretty standard where there's the technical director, the TD, director, producer, AD, and, and graphics are mostly in production all the time. Right. So again, depending on the truck, so you could go into one area of the truck and there could be eight people sitting in two rows, four in the front row, four in the second row, pretty small confines. You could have 12, 15, 18 people in various rooms of the truck, like Doof was saying, for audio and graphics and video. That obviously is not COVID compliant. So one of the first things that had to happen for television, for sporting events to be televised again is the television world needed a new system. It, it just wasn't going to work. So you've told us what it used to be like and what it may eventually be like again, although we don't know. What's it like now? Where is everybody now? Leave the announcers out of it for a moment. But from the production crew, where is everybody now as they do the games? Yeah, it is, it is a completely new world that we're living in. Um, it's from an ESPN Sunday Night Baseball standpoint, and this was something that was worked on over the course of, of months, really obviously with compliance with everybody at, at ESPN. We now are in a control room in Bristol, Connecticut, uh, which is a large room. I would say the, the room itself that we produce Sunday Night Baseball out of now is probably larger than any production truck. The room itself is very vast, and we can only have a certain number of people in that room. They all have to be socially distant from each other. Obviously, everybody is wearing a mask. So... To kind of give you perspective, still the front bench of the truck has the TD, technical director, the director, and myself. We were the only three people sitting in there, but I would say I'm probably close to 10 feet away from the director, and we're both wearing masks. Uh, the same applies for the director and the TD. They're probably six to eight feet away from each other. So, like I said, the room is much bigger. The front bench of the room where we all sit together is much wider so we're we're far away from each other and then there's a second bench behind us that is further back that has my graphics ap his operator and my ad associate director who's on like and they are all spread out as well and that's it that's all who's in the truck i know it doesn't sound like a lot less people from what i described out of a production truck but the size of the room and how far apart we are from each other is greatly different. So where are the people who would normally be in the truck, the other people, but they're not in that studio with you in Bristol? Where are they? So we have various rooms now. Some are in the same building. Some are like our audio is next door in a separate room by himself. Obviously, there's other operations folks. There's our, our bug operator is not only in a separate room by himself, he's on a separate floor in a separate building that we're not even in. Same applies to our, our tape operators and our ISO producer. They are spread out in a, in a big room in an adjacent building, kind of running all of our replays. So it's pretty spread out. Obviously, communication is uh, the biggest factor and now you're not in a small confined space and everybody can hear me just talking out loud. Um, so we're all talking over headset as we would be in the truck. But like I said, when we're sitting right next to each other and there's a lot of uh, nonverbal cues like pointing at certain things, maybe in the front bench and things like that, even from a producer and director standpoint, we're, you know, almost shoulder to shoulder in a normal truck atmosphere. Where now, like I said, we're I'm 10 feet away from from our director 
and wearing a mask and completely communicating over headset. So it leads to certain challenges. Where are Matt Vaskersian and A-Rod relative to you guys? They are in the building next door to us in a studio by themselves. They have a researcher in there that is off to the side, but it's, it's a big studio. They're sitting at a desk, you know, six feet away from each other, obviously wearing masks and, you know, communicating to us over headset as they normally would. So in, in that regard, we have our meetings. They come up to Bristol every Sunday. We, we meet in a conference room. Um, we obviously have Zoom meetings with the managers and go through some, some elements. And, and so we're together for that part as, as if we would be on site at any ballpark. Um, and then, you know, as they would go to the booth, you know, they're instead going to a studio. So from that regard, like my interaction with the announcers isn't that different. Is this getting easier week by week, like in terms of the communication, you know, seeing what icebergs are out there and avoiding them? Is it getting a little easier each week? Yes. I, I mean, for, for me, it is. I know we still have certain hurdles every week that we have to overcome. But, you know, going into opening night, which was the Yankees and the Nationals back on July 23rd, you know, that was the first time I, I had done one Remy production ever at ESPN leading into that game. And it was a much smaller college basketball game. And it was something that, you know, college basketball at that point had been doing for years. Right. Remy um, meaning you're not on site uh, to do the game. It's a remote like production. Correct. So now we're doing arguably the biggest baseball game ESPN has had in a long time in this format out of a control room, like I said, with the announcers in a studio and it's opening night. We haven't had any chance, obviously, to do any spring slash summer camp games, and and uh, it was a challenge. I mean, it was something that Jeff Evers, who's directing Sunday nights this year, and and I, you know, tried to put our crew in the best possible position from a production standpoint, obviously, and technical standpoint. And there was a lot of communication for weeks leading up to that about how it was going to work, because arguably, like as as even though ESPN's been doing Remy Productions mainly college basketball, college sports, some college football, you know, WNBA, other, other sports have been doing Remy productions for years and at a very successful rate. To do Sunday Night Baseball at the level of show that we were doing was something that hadn't been done before by ESPN. When I say level of show, it means really just the, the number of cameras and tape sources replay and things of that nature that are all coming back from the ballpark itself back into the plant in Bristol, Connecticut. And we're, you know, we're producing it from there. To answer your question, it, it has gotten easier. We've definitely gotten more comfortable with it and have just have a, just an overall better sense of, of what has to happen, you know, throughout the course of a Sunday to make sure we're at our best at seven o'clock Sunday night. I think people would be aware that the camera people, obviously, they still have to be on site. I'm sure you've got some robo cams or something like that, but most of the cameras would be manually operated by a human being who has to go to the ballpark. In a normal year, last year, how many camera operators would you have at the ballpark? And do you have as many now, or are you restricted in the number of cameras you can use because of distancing and COVID and just wanting to minimize the number of people in the ballpark? Yeah, well, it's it's a little tricky where I'd probably say we're definitely down a couple of cameras from what Sunday night would be in years past, whether it's, you know, somewhere in the range of 12 to 15 game coverage cameras. We're, we're down a couple that just because of the number of people that are allowed in the ballpark. And from like a 
crew standpoint, the Sunday night baseball camera operators that have been on the crew for, for decades, some of them, and do an incredible job, unfortunately aren't on site for us every week. So in this COVID world we're living in, we've had the opportunity to work alongside some of the RSNs, which is the regional sports networks, who broadcast all of the games locally for, for every all 30 teams. And we basically use their crew every Sunday for our broadcast. And other networks are doing that as well, Fox and, and Turner, to my knowledge. But, uh, you know, so every week when we go into a new ballpark, like this week we're going into Philadelphia, there our operations people have, for weeks now, have, have gotten ahead of it and been talking with the Phillies crewer and getting us as many of the Phillies local camera operators. And there's a couple of tape personnel and video and audio that actually work the game like they normally would, but instead the game's being broadcast by ESPN. Got it. So brand new environment, you're doing it remotely. You're not doing it with the normal crew that that you're familiar with. And then as if that weren't enough, a couple of weeks ago, you're supposed to do a Cardinals-Cubs game, and then the Cardinals have their COVID outbreak. And on Friday, you find out that you can't do that game that you've been preparing to do all week. Take us through Friday a couple of weeks ago when all that hit the fan. Just when you think COVID couldn't get any worse, <laughs> and believe me, I, I, I joke, and we've been very fortunate that, you know, my family and people that I know have not have not gotten it, but uh, that was a tricky week for many reasons. There was, uh, just to kind of bring you back to that Tuesday before that game uh, on Sunday where we were scheduled to do Cardinals-Cubs, like you said, there was a massive storm that came up the East Coast and eventually hit Connecticut and knocked out power for most of Connecticut starting on Tuesday and it didn't come back until late Saturday night. So you throw that monkey wrench into it with everything that's going on here. It's like uh, basically living in the office to have power and, and internet and be able to accomplish what I need to just to lead up to the game. Um, and yeah, we were in great shape. We'd obviously had heard what was going on with the Cardinals during the course of the week and didn't really know how it was going to go leading into the weekend if they would play. It was either Thursday or Friday. We had heard that the Friday game was going to be postponed, which automatically starts you thinking that we're not going to play on Sunday. I had heard after I was, you know, 95% ready to get on the air with everything that I needed to do at that point, we'd heard at six o'clock on Friday that the entire series was postponed. So our programming department working with Major League Baseball to see what other options there are for us to broadcast another game on Sunday Night Baseball that week, you know, even though we're 48 hours away from, you know, technically going on the air. Probably heard about 8 o'clock Friday night, we were able to pivot to the Indians at White Sox game, and baseball and everybody was able to agree that that game was going to slide from 2 o'clock Eastern to 7 o'clock Eastern and be exclusive on Sunday Night Baseball. I know the White Sox uh, can't, you know, as a lot of the players and people I spoke to were very excited to to be able to get on Sunday Night Baseball. I know it was something Tim Anderson spoke of a little bit earlier in the year that he was excited. He thought he had a, they had a good team and they, and they have a very good team this year. And uh, so basically at that point, it was a little bit of a scramble mode. You know, it's something that, you know, I hadn't done a White Sox game in probably a year or so, maybe more than that. And uh, you're starting fresh from everything with two different teams. So... Ended up going back into the office on Friday night, was there to a little after midnight, and then coming back in early Saturday morning and 
assembling our team and working with obviously with our announcers and our entire production team and and being able to come up with what we thought was a a very solid representation of the Indians and the White Sox for Sunday night baseball and uh, be able to highlight those two teams that maybe the average baseball fan doesn't know too well because they're not on national TV a bunch. But, uh, you know, it ended up being a success at the end of the day. And we owe a lot of credit to Chris Withers, who was the director for the White Sox. He was actually we did that game even differently than what we would do a normal Sunday night baseball game to throw another monkey wrench into it where Chris Withers is the uh, one of the directors slash producers of the White Sox. And even though the game was exclusive on ESPN, he and his crew was able to stay in the truck in Chicago and he directed that game for us. The main reason being that having been told on Friday night and being so late in the game, all the logistics and technical, uh, the technical side of things just wouldn't have been able to work out in such a short period of time. So we actually did that game with Chris in the truck in Chicago, listening to Matt, Alex and Buster and and cutting the game in the truck while listening to me in Bristol produce the game. So that was another uh, kind of unique way of, of broadcasting a game that we hadn't done before. Sounds kind of like actually the way the Blue Jays do it when their home games are in Buffalo. There is a crew in Buffalo, but it's also it, it's coming back to our producer in Toronto as well. So it sounds similar. But I don't think people understand how much pivoting there is all the time when you're doing live television. Like there's no teleprompter. There's no script. There is a plan. But when, you know, Zion Williamson rolls his ankle 42 seconds into the game, like the plan has to change. I guess the good thing is, you know, in the job that you have, you're used to having to say, okay, got to change everything we're doing right now because that's the direction it's going in. You really don't have much of a choice. Yeah, I mean, I think any producer goes into a game with an idea of this is how we're going to come on the air, obviously, in our open. And this is how we're going to cover the game. And there's certain things that you're planning on doing everything should kind of be focused on the game and the players and and the coaches. And there's all these other areas that you're going to touch upon, right? Whether it's, you know, in baseball, other teams and divisions and around the league and other things like that. But when you go into a broadcast and you have, you know, a handful of things that you're really keen on doing to kind of highlight the teams and the players and something happens like a Zion Williamson, you basically take that piece of paper of like, hey, we're, you know, these are the spots in the game, whether it's a shorter commercial break or a timeout or, you know, a certain area of the game that when Bryce Harper comes up, like last week, we wanted to hit on something specific. And, you know, you only have, you know, four at bats to potentially get into that when something else happens in the game that is now the focus, then you're 100% involved in that storyline. And you can take that piece of paper and some of those other, you know, quote unquote, great ideas that we yeah. all have yeah. and throw it out the window. Yeah, that's <laughs> so, when I hear Jeff's serious voice, when I hear him saying on the all call button, everyone listen to me, listen yeah. to me. <laughs> that's yeah. when we everybody gets really quiet when Jeff uses his grown up voice during a broadcast. Do you have any sense, Doof, if, you know, when it comes to the first round of the playoffs, ESPN will be doing a lot of that. Do you have any sense if you'll be on site at all, or do you think you'll keep doing it the way that you're doing it? You know, there's still conversations going on about that. I've spoken to Phil Orleans, our coordinating producer, about it a few times, and obviously, you know, it's his decision along with, you know, there's a lot of factors that go involved, whether it's uh, obviously other, other senior management. I'm sure Disney will have a say on whether or not they want X number of people to travel. And, of course, Major League Baseball will have a say as well on whether or not they want certain people on site. You know, ESPN over the course of those four days is going to do 
you know, seven of the eight series and Turner has the other one, you know, we're not going to know where we're going until the last day of the regular season. You know, everybody will play at three o'clock Eastern and be done between six and seven Eastern. And, and uh, by the time they finalize what the playoff matchups will be and what the schedule is, you know, it's a factor of do we book travel Sunday night and travel on Monday for potentially doing a game on Tuesday, a best two out of three series, or are we going to continue to do it the way we've done it all year from a, you know, Remy model remote production standpoint? And a lot goes into that. There's just so many control rooms and studios in Bristol. You know, we've used our Charlotte office for some Major League Baseball already this year to produce some games. So we have, you know, those facilities from production, from control rooms and and studios as well to utilize. So, you know, that's a lot of the work that Phil Orleans, my boss, and like I said, the CP on on Major League Baseball for us at ESPN is is working on along with our operations folks. And uh, I I expect us to probably know in a couple of weeks which way we're going to end up doing it. But uh it, you know, either way, we'll we'll put our best foot forward and, and adapt to it. Obviously, we've we've done it remotely for the first half of the season already. And the plan is to obviously do it the remainder of the season that way. But if we went back to the truck atmosphere, I mean, it wouldn't be anything different. Obviously, we've been doing that for for a long time. So we would feel right at home doing it that way as well. And then shortly after the World Series, I know you and I are hoping to be at the United Center in Chicago for the Champions Classic. Who knows if that's going to happen? But one way or another, I hope to hear your voice in a headset, whether where we are, if we're in the same city, if we're in the same area or not. I don't know, but uh, here's hoping we get some college basketball to do at some point this winter. Yeah, I hope so. It's a great, what is it, what do we have, like four and a half, five months together. Uh, we've been doing it for, for years now, and it always starts with the Champions Classic, which is a, a great event and ends up being and some get, you know, usually four of the top five or four of the top 10 teams. And we, we were even lucky enough one year to be one, two, three, and four playing in that game. And, uh, you know, when we look back or we look forward to March a lot, you know, usually those four teams from Duke, Michigan State, Kentucky, and Kansas are, uh, are right there battling for the final four in the national championship. So it's a heck of a way to start the season. When in doubt, Doof, just roll buzz. Remember that. That's, that, that's all you need to know, Dan. <laughs> you got to be careful, though, because a lot of times we're rolling things from other machines and you guys start mess. You guys start messing with everybody in the truck. <laughs> I'm trying so hard to learn. <laughs> hey, thanks for doing this, buddy. I know you've got a lot of challenges this year. You're doing great as always, and I hope to see you at some point during the winter. Thanks for having me on, Dan. Appreciate it. Well, I can tell you firsthand from doing countless television games at ESPN and working with Doof many times how challenging the job is, how many people he's in charge of, how many things he's overseeing, and everything is his responsibility. Everything that comes out on the air traces its way back to the producer of the show. So having to do it remotely from a studio with your announcers here and your audio guy there and your tape people in the next building, I can't imagine how challenging that is. But he is one of the best, and I know that he is doing the best job that he can. Hope you enjoyed a little peek behind the TV curtain. There's a lot going on behind the scenes to get that game that you want to watch on the air. That'll do it for this episode of A Swing and a Belt, produced by Christian Ryan. I'm Dan Schulman. Thanks for listening and hope you'll join us again next time.